Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ina Corio. I did really mean to do Chapter 7 yesterday, but eh, real life got in the way. We had a movie to see, uh, my husband and I, at 4. I slept till 11.30 because I stayed up late. Um, but I had to check my blood pressure every day just before noon, so I slept till 11.30. And I really wanted to go back to sleep. But my husband and I have been painting, and... We are painting in a strange way because if we tried to do a whole room, take all the furniture out, blah, 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 we would never get it done. We are incredible procrastinators. We've done it a different way. We've already painted one whole room this way and now we're working on our bedroom. And what we do is we try to tape it during the week or sand it and tape it if it's the trim and then We'll take a weekend and do two coats of one wall. <laughs> so just one wall. Move the stuff from that one wall. Paint that one wall. The next weekend, move the tape around because now we're going to do the trim. We'll sand the trim and we'll try to get that taping done by Friday night. And then we will do two coats on the trim. And it takes a while because four walls, two weekends each, that's eight weekends to do one room. Our bedroom has a bigger closet, so we can't just do it with the wall that's near it. In fact, we just finished that wall's wall paint. We got we, next weekend, we will do the trim. Um, the closet's gonna be a separate two weeks. <laughs> so right now our bedroom has three walls done, two walls of trim done, and one, uh, two trim walls to do, one wall to do, and a closet trim and wall and on the trim includes the shelves and everything so yeah I'm going to make it a thing to try to go through all my hanging clothes when we have to take them out of the closet um the other room we did is our kitten slash office kitten kitten office we call it because I'm sitting in our other office which has two desks and the playstation and and the Wii uh Wii U um the kitten office is where we house our foster kittens when we have them before they're able to be let loose in the house. And it's where my small desk is that I work from home. And in, in this case, my the company sent computer and two, two monitors and keyboard and all that stuff home with me. So I can't put that on my big desk in the office office. I have my own computer here and my own keyboard and all that. So I happen to have the second desk. So it just made sense to do it in there. And should I ever get around and get myself in gear and look for a teaching job, teaching English online, then I will do that also on that desk. So it'll still be a kitten office. And occasionally kittens might be part of my classes. You never know. Because when we have kittens and they're out of the cage, and but they're loose in that room, they're all over the place. And they often jump up on my desk and get in the way. <laughs> so, no kittens right now, though. So anyway, yesterday we got up, and I wanted to go take a short nap before we went and did the last of our shopping. But no, my husband got the paint out and started painting. So we had to do the first coat because we didn't manage to do it on Saturday. So we had to do the first coat before the movie and the second coat after the movie. The movie was at 4.15. We had to go and do a bit more shopping in the meantime. We have learned that you can tap a tree. 
um, the video my husband was watching was about tapping other things, but like hickory trees and whatnot. But we have a big old sugar maple out in front of our house. So I've been wanting to tap that for a long time. I actually ordered a tapping bucket once upon a time, but it never came. So I was a little PO'd. Fortunately, it was cheap. I didn't lose much money. But so we, this guy just drilled a hole, used a quarter inch tubing, a quarter inch hole, drilled quarter, uh, used quarter inch tubing and a bucket, a food safe bucket. And I'm like, we can buy a food safe bucket and drill a hole and put tubing in it. We can do that. We're going to make our own syrup. <laughs> How's the, how cool is that? So we had to go get the bucket. We had to go get the tubing. And the last thing I need to do is find one of those little screw-in hooks that he screwed in. There's one of these little screw-in hooks you could put in, and then that way you could hang your bucket. Otherwise, we'll put our bucket on the floor. But we've got 10 foot of uh, tubing, so that's cool. And it's just about the right time to do the tapping, so we want to try to tap it next weekend. What they said you want is freezing nights and warmer days, and you want to do it on the south side. So you want a tree that's uh, visible to the sun on the south, and... Right there in our front yard, it certainly gets the the, the uh, southern sun. So it's perfect. So I'm finally going to get something out of my giant uh, maple tree out front. Woohoo! <laughs> Besides shade, it, it does provide incredible shade. But also those little her, her, uh, helicopter seeds that want to put little trees all over my yard. They get in the backyard. They go over the house. And so do the leaves. We don't have a big yard, but we can bag 20 bags of leaves in this house. And we have a mulching mower. So it can mulch any of the leaves on the grass. But the, the stuff that lands off the grass is still a heck of a lot of bags of leaves. It's inc incredible. We have in our yard a hackberry tree a maple tree, and a peach tree that is yet to make peaches. Our neighbors, though, have a walnut tree and an ash tree and who knows what all else. I had to have somebody tell me these things. I mean, I knew what the maple was because the leaves are very distinct. But one of the, the their two trunks of the hackberry fell on our house. So when the tree company came to remove it, I said, what kind of tree is this? And he said, hackberry. And I think we were walking around with um, some kind of tree help people, you know, giving us a free thing, you know, free console or whatever. And I pointed to the neighbor's tree that hangs right over our driveway and said, what kind of tree is that? And that's an ash. So I know that. And of course, the walnuts, the walnuts that land on my driveway, in my yard, I have a deal with the squirrels. It's their duty to get all those walnuts because I hate walnuts, not just their flavor, but their packaging. It's not just the shell. A lot of people think walnut and walnut comes in a shell. Well, it does. Outside the shell is a skin, and between the, the skin and the shell is tar, sticky, staining black tar. And we used to have one of those over our driveway when we lived in Paradise, Missouri. Yes, there is a town called Paradise, Missouri. And they would get on our clothes with that tar because my, the car would run over them. Oh, I hated it hate them and I don't like their taste either. So, ugh, I hate all there is about them. So I'm, I always tell the squirrels, you better get all those walnuts. Don't you let one of those trees grow in my yard. Nope. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't cut down the tree in the neighbor's yard. That would be kind of illegal. So, so anyway, we're gonna tap the tree. So we had to buy some things for that. And then we went to the movie. We went to see Dog. 
It is good. It made me cry. It is it is a good movie. I I really liked it. And my husband left his phone, but we have like, you know, the tickets were on the phone, so he had to run home and get the phone, and we weren't sure if he left it somewhere where we shopped. So I went into the movie, and before the movie started, I just kept calling him over and over and over again. <laughs> Either somebody might answer if he left it in a store or it would help him find it when he got home. And uh, so all during the previews and stuff, I'm calling and calling. And he'd left it in the bathroom here at home. So he was late coming into the movie, but he did make it. And we saw that and we came back home and we had dinner and then we painted the second coat. And it's a little bit of a tricky wall and I have the arthritis in my thumb, which makes, you know, I can only do so much painting before it's just time to give up because my thumb will not cooperate and um, I'm not so great at painting with my left hand. Sometimes I can do both. If I do both hands, I can let the right hand do the guiding and the left hand do the hard part, the heavy lifting, but it's still tricky. So my husband kind of did the smaller section of the wall all by himself. Um, the wall looks good, so next he's, he actually volunteered while I worked on the budget today to go and start the taping for the trim that we will do on the weekend. The weekend after that, we're going to be out of town, so won't get any painting done. <laughs> but the last wall will be um, a little tricky because we'll have a door. We do paint the door and the frame of the door you know in some ways it's the easiest on the trim because we just have the door and the you know the wall the other ones we had the wall and the windows and then we had the wall and a door i guess that one was simple too and then we had a wall and a closet door and a corner because there's a little i don't know alcove or whatever my husband's dresser is which fortunately moves very easy so we were able to move it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth <laughs> until it was all painted and then, um, but on this wall, we have a very heavy dresser, my dresser, and it is massively heavy with all my clothes and the thing, you know, six drawers of clothes and the things on top of it and the mirror and everything. So we've got to move all of that and our TV stand, which is on wheels, so not, not too def difficult. Um, and the sound bar that we just installed above my vanity or my mirror on my dresser hanging on Hercules hooks but resting on top of the mirror so we've got to take all that down pull out the Hercules hooks and everything paint the wall and we can put it back and then we of course we have to do the trim so it's gonna be you know a while before our bedroom is done but it's it's looking better already I love the colors they're the colors we did in the living room and I loved them so much I'm like I want to do these in the bedroom if you've never painted your trim in your house, take a chance. You want a kind of tran uh, contrasting color between the wall and the um, between the wall and the trim. In the living room, we did a light blue gray on the walls. It's almost white until you see white next to it, and then you go, no, 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 there's a blue in there. And then uh, it's a darker blue gray on the trim, and I did the the trim on the window of the door I did the frame of the door and I just loved it so the door leading into the kitten office is living room colors on the outside it's now kitten office colors on the inside even the edges of the door so when it's open 
uh, to the inside, you know, if, I mean, it usually is open unless we have kittens. So the if you're standing in the kitten room looking at that door, you see white on the edge of it because white is the trim color to the black and gray room. And if you're in the living room, you see the darker trim color on that edge of the door because that's facing the living room. So it's uh, kind of exciting. We're also going to get a new countertop in the kitchen. That one's gonna cost us a bit more than paint, um, <laughs> but we can no longer screw in our dishwasher because the laminate has worn out and kind of fallen apart everywhere we need to screw it into the counter. So we're kind of like, eh, our dishwasher is forcing us to get a new a new counter. And I didn't like the colors, color of our of our countertop because now it doesn't go with the colors of the kitchen, which are an oatmeal and molasses. So it's kind of a oatmeal-y white and a brown that's kind of light, but really kind of dark. It's, you know, it's like, like molasses. And I thought those were very apropos color names for a kitchen. So we want something that's either going to be dark like the molasses or a mix of the two. So we're actually going with a granite called Bianco Lucra, which has both of those colors kind of in it. So it's going to be really kind of nice. I didn't want to go laminate again because eventually, you know, if you change out your dishwasher, you're wearing part of that out and then it could happen again. You know, I'm like, I don't want it to happen again. And granite looks pretty cool. It'll match our colors better. Um, so I'm excited to get it even though it's gonna cost us quite a bit, we do have some savings to cover it. So there's that. All right, so it's a little late tonight. I do want to get through this and get chapter seven in since I missed it yesterday. So let's get reading chapter seven of The Honored. All right, we've already done six chapters. We have seven and eight left to go. We are almost at the end and the pacing had picked up quite a bit and Kira and Bashir are out they are running and something's going to happen on Deep Space Nine between the Dominion and the Ghidari. All right here we go. Star Trek Deep Space Nine The Honored by Gabrielle Lawson Chapter 7. The sunrise took Bashir's breath away figuratively speaking since he didn't actually have to breathe it was stunningly beautiful. The sky, being in general red, was more yellow at the horizon, only turning more orange as the sun rose above that horizon's edge and bright red as it climbed even higher. It was much easier going since they could now see. They moved away from the track but kept it in sight. It might be strange to see two honored running in the fields, but no train had yet come by. So they kept running and found themselves in another forest. It wasn't so thick that they couldn't look left and spot the track beyond the trees. Bashir looked up into the red, yellow, and orange leaves of the trees. As Bashir looked up into the red, yellow, and orange leaves of the trees, he noted they were moving despite the lack of wind this morning. Kira altered her trajectory to run closer to him. Darglin, she whispered, and he remembered the bright feathers she brought him. These were the birds that had saved the Ghidari people from the Dominion's plague. Now that he knew what to look for, he could see them. They were well camouflaged among the leaves, but now and then he spotted a black eye or a reddish-brown beak. Kira had said they were large, as large as a man. She had also said they were predatory. Will they attack? He whispered back. Did when we took a sample. They were coming to a clearing, and as they left the trees and their birds, he could see a flat plain with bushes and other small animals. They were dark with leathery skin and stood on their hind legs at about waist height. 
Oh, no, Kira said, still whispering. But one of the little creatures must have heard her, or maybe it was just the sight of two people in purple running in their field. Don't look at them. Kira turned her face up, trying to avoid them. The creature did have sharp teeth, but Bashir could see they were gorging on the bushes. Two of them, however, had taken to flight, running parallel to him and Kira. Well, not quite parallel. They were getting closer, and it finally dawned on him why Kira didn't want to see them. These were the Medulkas. By the time they'd crossed the valley, the two creatures were behind them. Bashir thought for sure they'd lose interest. There was nothing to mimic except running, after all. He tried to ignore them and kept running, but soon he noted a sudden darkness pass over him, and then there was a shadow on the ground, the shadow of a bird. He hoped it was a small one, not one of the Darglin. He looked around, trying to spot it. It was high in the sky, but Nailati had been right. It looked like fire flying on wings. As he watched, the Darglin dove, and it seemed to wheel around until it was diving right toward him. Kira must have seen it, too. She had her Finritter out. It was coming fast, and he was running to meet it. It was huge, and its talons were the size of his own foot. As soon as it got to within a meter, he dove for the ground. He could feel the brush of the talons across his back, and then he heard a squeak. He flipped to his back and saw the Darglin beating its wings as it lifted the flailing Maduka into the sky. Kira was on the ground, too. She pulled her pushed herself up and started running again. He did the same. A glance behind him showed the other Medulka was gone as well. Either there had been another bird he hadn't seen, or it had run off. He realized he hadn't heard the Darglin he'd seen. Perhaps there had been another. That Darglin had been large enough to carry off a smaller person, maybe even Kira. Did they hunt Gidari? Bashir now preferred running in the trees. It would be harder, perhaps, for the birds to navigate around the trunks and branches that with their three-meter wings, but there were no trees in their immediate vicinity. They'd been running for nearly 13 hours, and still there had been no train since the one they'd seen in the evening. He wished he'd paid better attention just just how far they'd gone from Nardinosti the day they arrived. He hoped they'd reach it before the 26-hour mark. They needed at least a day to reach DS9, and already he had less than two days left. For a moment, as the turbo lift lifted her head above the floor of ops, Esri had expected to see Kira at the ops table. By the time it had risen all the way, that fleeting moment was replaced with the harsh memory that her friend was dead, and it was Major Jarish who had asked her to come up. He smiled when he saw her, and she managed an upturn of her lips in response. She didn't feel much like smiling. It hadn't been even been a week yet. "'How can I help you, Major?' The captain has left it to me to open negotiations on the arrangements for the meeting between the Dominion and the Gidari, the young man said. The Dominion is sending one of their Vorta. She should be here in two hours. That didn't surprise her, even though the meeting was many hours away still. They're crafty, but generally easy to talk to, Esri told him. And you're not brokering a treaty, just arrangements to satisfy both parties while maintaining security on the station. He nodded. I'm actually looking forward to meeting her for that reason, but I don't know anything about the Gidari. I was told you had some experience with them. A memory floated to the surface, cold darkness in her lab and a crick in her neck, then a glow, blue glow as Gidari transported in. She backed toward the door. What do you want? Jadzia's voice was calm, but Esri could feel her fear. A woman's voice, quiet, or we'll make you quiet. A smooth cloth brushed against her. There was a hiss, and then she grew heavy. A blue-lit rod swept the lab as the woman found Bashir's tricorder and the samples they'd been, studying, they'd been studying and destroyed each one in a red beam of light. 
Another blue glow took the Ghidari away, and then Jadzia realized she was only weak and not in pain. She let her fear go and slowly, and with great effort, stood, releasing the door manually. Then she had crawled her way toward sickbay until Kira had found her. Ezru raised her eyebrows as she took a seat. My previous host did. Really, the captain had had more interactions with them, but he wasn't asking for a story. He wanted a profile, a behavioral analysis. We don't know much about the Ghidari, and that's the way they like it. They're often mistaken for xenophobes, but they're really highly ethnocentric. They hold the Ghidari over all other species, and that includes you. They do what they want, when they want. Fortunately, for most of the galaxy, they want to trade and keep to themselves. Jarish nodded. So they'll be harder to satisfy. Ezri thought about that. Maybe. Though they called the meeting, not the Dominion. That might be something to balance out their arrogance a little. Look, in the end, they can beam on or off the station at will, regardless of the state of our shields. If I were you, I'd think getting the Vorta to agree to the Ghidari's desired arrangements will be harder, as you won't get far challenging the Ghidari. Right. He pressed a few controls and brought up a transmissions text. The Ghidari representative is Juan Harglin Nostroff. I checked the name, but only found a reference to a young murder victim from several years ago. Ezri's breath caught at the name. Jadzia had known about Harglin Nostroff's murder, the first for a serial killer that plagued the station while they were also dealing with Bajoran terrorists. But Julian had seen the Ghidari, unhooded, draw a cloned child from the body of Ensign Justin Singers. The less people who know that story, the better. Though Julian wouldn't have to face the consequences now if the Ghidari should find out. Not anymore. Could be a relative, she suggested. Good luck. Thank you for your insight, Lieutenant, Jarish offered. You're welcome. She slid off the stool and headed toward the turbolift again. As she descended, she brought Jadzia's memories of that time back to mind. It was possible that some of Singris's DNA went into that clone. That could be why he was engaged to be liaison here. Knowing that there had been no justice for Singris's murder in that ritual, or even a body for his family to bury, had been hard. And now the Ghidari had robbed her of Julian's body. What could they have wanted with it? Or Kira's? The train had finally passed by, heading toward Nardinasti, but only once and it hadn't made any stops as far as they could see. It was also colored gold. The sunlight made it look more like rose gold. Every car was the same color. Julian didn't know if that was the default color or if it was a status he hadn't been exposed to yet. The train had sped by so quickly that they hadn't been able to get halfway to the station before it was gone again. The station itself was deserted. But from the eastern edge of the station, Julian glimpsed the next and he thought he maybe recognized it from the station outside Nardinasti, the station where Tarlingan had led them onto the train that took them to Nardgarin. They were almost there. He estimated it would take approximately four hours at their average speed, and then they'd have to navigate the gates of the port city. Bashir pointed out the faraway station to Kira. I can barely see a glint of it, she told him, but I'll take your word for it. We can make it. They stayed near the tracks this time, trusting that there wouldn't be another train to run them over from behind, and that no one would pay attention to their passing. There was also less wildlife near the tracks. The occasional Hafta gave it a go, but Kira and Bashir swatted them off each other and kept running. Physically, Bashir found it all rather fascinated. He was running at top speed, sustaining it for hours as the kilometers rushed by beneath his feet. He should have been winded or parched for water. His feet should hurt from the constant pounding on the turf. His legs should be spasming from the strain. 
but none of that was true. If there hadn't been an expiration date on the glowing liquid in his veins, he would have worn out his boots before he ever tired of running. Kira still had fully working lungs and heart, but she was breathing evenly as she kept pace with him. He never heard her gasp or gulp for air. I see it now, she said, as calmly as if she'd been standing still. You're sure it's the same one? More sure now, he replied. The train has stopped there, and I can just make out the gates. The station, when they neared it in just under four hours, was similarly deserted. The train was likewise empty. empty. Either it had arrived empty, or its passengers had passed through the gates into Nardinosti. The sky was darkening now, and they were faced with the biggest challenge since they'd left the caves. They could not pass through the gates as Gidari did. The Gidari had to linger, to have their bodies altered to breathe different air. Bajir and Kira were already able to breathe that air. If they lingered, they'd be changed. And since their bodies were not Gidari bodies, Bashir couldn't predict what changes would result. They had to pass through without stopping, which would give them away to the guards as aliens. Maybe they shut down the port, too, Kira suggested. Maybe there are no guards during this time of mourning or transition. It's possible, Bashir agreed, but someone is in there. Why else would the train have come? Well, we can't get back to DS9 without getting through the gates. The gold color of the train had gotten him thinking. The only gold he'd seen on Gidar was in the throne room or on the leader. But it was too early for Tarlingan Nelati to be up and about. She didn't just have to assimilate the symbiont, she had to grow in the process. Growing that much in such a short amount of time had to be incredibly painful. He found it hard to believe she'd make this journey to the port city in her condition. And if she did, why? Was it that important to stop their honor from escaping? Maybe we shouldn't risk the closest gates, he suggested. We could run a bit north or south and come in where we wouldn't be expected. Kira nodded. South. It's closer to the ships. They circled the cities to the south for 15 minutes. Then they each stood in front of a gate. On three, Kira ordered. One, two, three. He stepped through, expecting to be thrown to the ground by a guard, but there were none. Kira was right beside him. They'd made it. Bashir looked around in the bright white light. Kira began to cough, hard. She dropped to her knees. Bashir pulled out his tricorder and scanned her. You'll be all right, he assured her. The coughing subsided and she caught her breath. You're just expelling the Gidari air. You're, you were breathing it in all along. You weren't, she choked. Bashir did have a bit of tickle in his throat. Not as much. We're going to get that fixed, she told him, standing again. She cleared her throat and looked around. <coughs> Where are the ships? She was right. Not only were there no guards at the gates, but there was only one ship docked, and Bashir recognized it as the Gindaran, or one of the same class. Honored. They spun around in unison. A lone figure in black had appeared, a lightener, this time a male. He bowed in the familiar pose. Kira and Bashir looked at each other and then repeated the bow. They were out of options. The lightener stood. I am Harglin Nostroff the Elder, your liaison. The leader has requested your presence. Please follow me. He walked past them toward the gaping loading port of the Gandaran. Benjamin Sisko rolled the baseball over and over in his hands as Jarish laid out the plans for the meeting. The Gidari had proven predictably stubborn in their demands. The entire promenade? His patience was stretching to the breaking point, but not at Jarish. Sisko had dealt with the Gidari before. The upper deck, though they did stipulate that all civilians be evacuated to the habitat ring, we are allowed a security presence, the size of which they left to our discretion. How very generous, Sisko frowned. 
He wouldn't want civilians around anyway, not with Gidari and Jem'Hadar. And the Dominion? Jarish sighed visibly. The Vorta was more pleasant, but just as adamant. If the Gidari were going to surround the promenade, the Jem'Hadar would too. That would be a lot of Jem'Hadar. Sisko held his breath to keep his temper. He squeezed the ball until it hurt. Jarish went on. They'll dock on opposite pylons, one high and one low. All non-security personnel were to be removed from their path to the promenade. Senior staff, no more than six people, are allowed to be present at the conference site, here. Jarish pointed to one spot on a diagram of the promenade, just across from the upper level of Quark's bar. This is where the founder and the Gidari representative will speak. And all those Gidari and Jemhadar will leave after? Sisko was already planning the security sweep that would follow the Dominion out. Yes, sir, Jarish replied. The Gidari liaison assured me it wouldn't even last half a glyph, though I'm not sure how long a glyph is. Sisko sighed and put the ball back on in its spot on his desk. Let's hope it's short. Bashir and Kira were placed in the same room they had awoken in nearly a week before. Or all such rooms looked alike. Bashir felt the ship take off. They were leaving Gidar. But going where? He checked the tricorder. Twenty-six hours and twenty minutes. He would have made it. They both would have. Kira was pacing. The whole planet closed down for the transition. That explains the empty stations, the lack of ships. Except this one, Julian added. And the train brought her here? Why? She can't have changed yet. You did say the captain is her brother. Right. So he's trusted. This has to be something important. But what? Maybe they'll attack the Dominion in retaliation. That seemed a likely option. She paused her steps and turned toward him. Just one ship? Julian shrugged. One ship might be enough. We don't know what the Gidari are capable of, even now. For all we know, they only have one ship. Kira resumed her steps. Why do they need us? Bashir didn't have a response to that. Why indeed? He'd fulfilled his purpose, and as his helper, so had she. They were supposed to be off to the clearing in the woods by the lake. The door opened. Nostroff, flanked by two of the clergy, entered. The priestesses each carried a folded purple cloak. Your robes were soiled from your journey. Please change. We will return in five minutes, as you count time. Then you will go before the leader. They took the offered robes, but, but waited until they were alone to change. Well, Bashir noted, we just might get some answers. Kira start, started an inventory as soon as she had the new cloak on. Make sure they've got everything. She took the pad from her dirty cloak and tucked it into the new. Bashir wasn't sure what all had been in his previous cloak. He watched Kira to see if she found something amiss. They had just gotten the new cloak settled when the door opened again. Nostroff was alone this time. Please follow. As he led them down passages and round corners, Julian half-wished Nostroff would remove his hood. He wanted to ask him if he remembered Justin Singris, if he felt human at all. But he kept those thoughts to himself. Tarlingan had said he was Gidari. She probably hadn't meant half. They stopped beside a tall gold and black door. Nostroff turned to face them. You go before the leader. All must remain covered. When in the chamber, you must remain silent. Answer if you are spoken to, but be brief and respectful. You must march silently and place your hands. Bashir held up a hand to stop him. We remember, life and death reside together in the chamber. Nostroff stood to one side. Bashir hoped Kira remembered Tarlingan's teaching from their first meeting with the leader. They both stood five feet from the door. Bashir waited until the door was fully opened and snapped his arms up, crossing his thumbs beneath the sleeves of his cloak. He saw Kira do the same in his periphery. Together they pranced into the chamber. 
Some of the same weapons were festooned on the walls of this smaller chamber. A red carpet led not to a throne on high, but to an oversized bed at eye level. Bashir stopped at the same distance Tarlingan had from the throne and began to bow. Kira was right in sync with his movements. They ended in the Gidari equivalent of parade rest and dropped their heads. Look at us, healer. The voice was changing. Some words sounded like Tarlingan, others like Nelati. They rose and fell in pitch, which told him she was still in transition. He raised his head. He was right. She was reclining on a bed with the head raised, like a chaise lounge. But the bed was enormous, and she was not yet as tall as her predecessor. Her breathing was forced, and she was tensed in pain. And he just had to risk it. May I give you something for the pain? No, she snapped. My trill host suffered as did my first Gidari host. We are no better than they. She hissed and shifted her position slightly. He hated to see her like this, but he knew better than to argue. I regret we cannot give you the leaving we promised. Though it shall still be painless, we have need of you yet, both of you. We have little time left, Kira said. Your new purpose will be fulfilled in that time. When we reach our destination, you will follow Harglin Nofstroth's instructions. This day you will stand with me in front of the enemy. Will you have completed your change? Bashir asked. Not quite. But we shall not portray any weakness before the enemy. Neither will you. We will be changed enough. She was already taller than Tarlingan had been, but not yet as tall as the previous leader. He and Kira had roughly a day. How much taller would this new Nailati be by then? Go now, she told them. Return to the chamber from which you awoke as honored. Wait for Nostrov to return for you. Follow his orders. You may bow, but we will not be stepping away. Bashir and Kira repeated the bow and waited for her cue to rise. She didn't keep them long. Arise and go. The two of them turned about face and pranced back out the door. Nostrov was there, but he didn't move or speak until the door was completely closed. I shall show you the way. Likewise, Kira and Bashir didn't speak until they were alone in their room. So they are going to confront the Dominion, Kira said, throwing off her hood. Bashir lifted his as well. Looks that way. She went to a corner and dropped to the floor. This time, there were no crates to sit on. We could have made it. Bashir sighed and sat down beside her. We tried, but there were no other ships. She didn't so much as scold us for running away. What do you make of that? Bashir wasn't sure what he made of that. Had Tarlingan or Nailati expected them to run? Nostrov had been respectful, even deferential, back in Nardanosti. Was it just esteem for their status as honored? Maybe they couldn't be scolded. Do you feel any different? Bashir hadn't expected that question. Disappointed, he replied, but if you mean physically, no. I could run another hundred kilometers, but we still have just under a day. I'll probably feel it by then. Kira took his hand and squeezed. At least it won't hurt, right? Bashir squeezed back. I don't think she'd lie about that. In the hours since their meeting with the new leader, Tarlingan before, now Nailati, they had considered leaving their room. Their status may have afforded them the freedom to do so, but every time they'd been out, the walls and corridors had been nondescript and monotone. And at least one wall was a holographic door. They weren't sure where they should try and to go and didn't think they'd find their way even if they had been. 
There was really nothing interesting to keep them busy. The medical supplies that had been retrieved from the runabout and stashed against the walls the first time they'd occupied this room were back in the palace at Nodgarin. There were no consoles, no viewports. In fact, there wasn't any furniture of any sort, just four gray walls and one door. Bashir found he wasn't scared, though, now that he only had a few hours left. It wasn't like waiting for an execution. It was more like getting a terminal diagnosis. Kira considered that when he told her. Yeah, I can see that. The execution's already happened. I still wish it wasn't going to happen at all. To while away the hours, they'd taken turns telling each other stories about their childhoods. Bashir's stories were a bit more cheerful than Kira's. Now they just shared whatever came to mind just to have some conversation, like whether Gidari quarters were any more decorated than their plain room. Kira had posed that the leaders were, and surely the captains. Death didn't leave Julian's mind long, though. He'd been so close several times before. Well, more than a few. And, of course, he actually had died in the runabout. Had it been a foregone conclusion? He cheated it and cheated it, but was it going to catch up eventually? He cheated it this time in spectacular fashion, but it was definitely catching up unless by some miracle the Ghidari dropped them off at DS9 or some other Federation outpost. How much longer? Kira asked again. Death didn't leave her mind long either. Four hours or so, Bashir repeated without annoyance. He even wished he could sleep. A nap would save him from an hour or two of boredom and the slow crawl of time, but he wasn't the least bit tired. The first thing they'd done was to use the pad to record messages to their loved ones on the off chance that the pad would find its way back to Federation territory. Kira had written to Odo and Sisko and even the Ministry. Bashir had written to Esri, his parents, O'Brien, Garrick, and even his friend Felix back on Earth. They left vague their last week or how it had come to be. If the Ghidari read the pad and discovered details of their planet or culture, the messages would have even less chance of reaching their recipients. The Ghidari had revived them temporarily to assist with an illness. Kira had left out her adventures foraging for specimens, and Bashir had not shared that the leader of the Ghidari was, adjo- was joined with a trill symbiont, or how that had come to pass. It made for awkward transitions. Three hours later, Harglin Nostroff came to the door. Kira stood easily enough, but Bashir found his energy had started to decrease. He had to push against the wall for the leverage to rise to his feet. Forgive, honored, Nostrov said. Your time is short, so we will dispense with the bowing and other ceremonial actions. We have arrived. You will fulfill your purpose very soon. Cover, please, and follow me. I didn't even feel us docking, Kira remarked. How do you feel, Julian? A bit tired, Bashir admitted. He pulled his hood over his head and met Nostrov at the door. Nostrov led them down one corridor to another filled with Gidari crewmen. He pushed past them all the way to the front of the line where priestesses stood in their red robes. This time they weren't facing a holographic door, but a more recognizable docking port. They weren't on the pla- a planet then, but a station or another ship. Whatever it was, the Dominion was near. Nailati had said they'd stand with her in front of their enemy this same day. Well, whatever happens, he thought to himself, they can't kill me. I'm already dead. Well, that's it. Chapter 7 is done. That leaves one chapter to come. Just one. There might or might not be an epilogue, but it's all in the same file. It's not... If I... I can't remember if there's an epilogue, honestly. If there is, it don't... It's... I don't think it's as long as the prologue was. I think it's all just chapter 8. And so we shall see tomorrow. Um, hopefully tomorrow. <laughs> um 
So, things are coming together. They went through the gates and Harglan Nostroff the Elder was there. If you remember, Harglan Nostroff the Younger was the Malin clone who was being hung by his wrist behind his back for killing somebody. Um, so, <laughs> this is Harglan Nostroff the Elder. So, back in, if it's not one thing, Bashir had seen... Well, first off, Ensign Singris had found the Gidari in his quarters and they injected a bunch of different things in him, which did not feel very good. It felt rather terrible, but he got a glimpse of them with unhooded right before he died and thought they were beautiful. And then he died and the Gidari left and they came back a few hours later, cut him open and pulled out a small child, a Gidari child, which was part Singris, part Harglan Nostroff. So this is Harglan Nostroff the Elder. The original Harglan Nostroff was dead. He was the first victim of the serial killer, which turned out was Malin. But um, they went to the first person to find, see his body, and that was Incensingris until somebody, I think Julian, pointed out that no, the serial killer was the first one to see his body, which they got him in the end too. So they ended up with two such clones. The first one out is Harglan Nostroff the Elder, and the other Harglan Nostroff, the younger, and he didn't last. So Harglan Nostroff here is part of Ensign Singris, and, or part Ensign Singris, he's not part of him, He part of him is Ensign Singris, Ensign Justin Singris, but as Nailati told him, he remembers Singris, but he is Gidari. And so if he thinks of Ensign Singris, now you got to remember the ethnocentricity of the Gidari. Ensign Singris is human, and he may have some of the memories of Ensign Singris, but he doesn't have feelings for, like, Ensign Singris's parents. Maybe a hint of them? But they're human. What good are they? Um, <laughs> they're not Gidori. They're pawns scum, right? Um, so... You know, he'll have that same ethnocentricity. He's Gidari. And Gidari is better than everybody else. Including Ensign Singris and Ensign, Singris fam Ensign Singris's family. So one can imagine he's never made any effort to contact his parents at all. Ensign Singris's parents, I should say. He's probably in co con contact with Harglan Nostroff's parents. He's sort of the replacement of their son because he also has Harglan Nostroff's memories from his DNA. So mm, he wasn't con he he was already dead by then. So maybe not so much memories. I think we established that it's kind of hard to keep memories in DNA. This isn't Assassin's Creed. Uh, so yeah, probably his parents then helped him remember, you know, who he is in a sense accepting that this is now Harglan Nostroff and they would tell him stories about Harglan and how, you know, so he, they raised him. They raised that child. And so he is Harglan Nostroff, the elder, and he is Gitari. So he is now the Leitner liaison. And I don't know if he was a Leitner previously, but he is uniquely so sorted to be a liaison to the Federation, where they're going to a Federation place to negotiate. We know that's DS9. Bashir and Kira don't know that's DS9. 
it's important to remember that. And I'm not really spoiling that because I think, you know, you're smart enough to put the two and two together. The Dominion is coming. The Gidari is coming. They're going to have a conference together. Jarash and Cisco were just going over the details. And then the Gidari ship lands at some station. Where else would they be going? Bashir and Kira don't even know if they have another ship. They've only got the one as far as they know. <laughs> and maybe as far as anybody else knows for that matter. Uh, so that's that's it. So chapter 8 has some big things happening. It's going to bring all of this together. It's going to be the climax and the denouement. Denouement. Um, Denouement. They get this. Get that uh, nasal sound in there. Denouement. They get it French. Anyway, so this is you know the climax is going to raise up the stakes, and then we get to come down gently, and here we are. And that's where I will leave you. So that is in chapter eight to come. I kind of left off forgetting you know to uh, what I was saying about painting contrasting colors with your trim. Not related to this story at all, but related to why I could not uh, do an episode last night. Because by the time we got done with the painting, it was quite late. And I realized I had an appointment in the morning, so I had to go to bed early. <laughs> so I couldn't do it. But it is really striking when you have the two colors next to each other. The lighter color on the wall and the or not necessarily, the one color on the wall and the contrasting color on the trim, it doesn't overwhelm because the trim is not nearly the same volume as the wall, right? It accents. So we did this beautiful blue and blue in the living room and the lighter blue and the darker blue. And then in the kitten office, my daughter had previously had that room and she had painted one wall and around the closet in chalkboard paint, black. And we didn't mind that. And I'm going to be hopefully teaching English at some points. So that could come in handy. Um, the other wall she had painted gray and not well. <laughs> she did not paint well. And so we thought, well, the color's not bad. We have black curtains in there. Curtains are expensive, so she left the curtains. We're going to keep those curtains. They also have a lot of holes poked in them, either from the pet rats she had or cats or kittens climbing them. And this is a kitten room, so... <laughs> They will climb them again. So we don't need fancy schmancy and, you know, expensive curtains in there. So we kept the black curtains in there that she had. So we wanted, you know, colors that would go with the black curtains and the black chalkboard. And that gray that she had was not a bad color of gray. So we got that color in new paint and we painted it again. And we, we were considering what color to contrast. It was actually the guy at the painting store or the paint section of the store who suggested white just bright white and he was right it does look stunning with a gray in the white or the black in the white so just beautiful and the in the kitchen the kitchen in our house is a glorified hallway that makes an l and when you take that l to the left you will pass the basement door and then you will come to a three-way end of that hallway and it leads to three different doors so each of those doors, everything in that hallway, the whole L shape is done in walnut, excuse me, oatmeal and molasses. The door to the, the basement is the one that settled it for me. It's a panel door, so I did it in both colors, and it looks so good. So good. 
So I was like, oh yes, so we are gonna do this. And we did all the cabinets in the kitchen um, with the outside being in the dark color, the inside being in the light color, and it just looks stunning. Except where the paint now has little holes in the paint because, you know, my cat is tall. And he wants to see what you're doing on the counter. And so his little claws, go, not little, they're big claws. Those big claws get up there and they mess up the paint. But did you know you can keep paint moist in the refrigerator? Just don't get it too cold. Um, in our old refrigerator, I had it in the back and it was fine. But in this new re refrigerator, it gets very cold in the back and it actually started to solidify some of the paints. I have little containers that I got from Dollar Tree, three for a dollar. And I pour enough paint to kind of fill those and I mark them on top. So I know, you know, I've got a little bit and I get a little um, popsicle stick to stir it with. And I get a little brush and I touch up those spots in the kitchen um with with that and we didn't sand down the cabinets we probably should have the paint would probably stick more if we had but alas we did not so here we are and so i have to touch those up occasionally but i also had colors of you know the the blue in the in in the living room because it was just great um so we used that and we actually the old cans of the old containers of paint we had from when we did the living room this is like well over a year they were still good once we got the lids off. I was amazed. Stir them, stir them, stir them, and they're great because we just ran out of the wall color for our bedroom halfway through the third wall, and we still had half a container <laughs> of old paint, and it was just fine. Um, the only one I'm concerned about is our office here where I am. My son's, this used to be my son's room, and my daughter has a um, chore that she had to do as a consequence was to paint this room and again she painted it terribly so she had to do many coats and she got the light color on the trim and so we had to then have her paint the trim and didn't save any of those paints I've got some of the yellow still I think so we got a little bit of that because I didn't paint the back of we didn't paint the door at the time this is actually the first room we painted the trim on and it actually looks pretty good but I didn't quite go with the doors and all that in the other rooms we painted the trim in here by necessity but you know it looks nice it's a lighter color of brown and the walls are kind of a yellow and we have red curtains left over from my son we have cherry wood um furniture so you know and black no no mostly cherry and so you know it kind of works it's not as fancy in here but um i don't have any touch-up of this brown color and it needs some touch-up and I'll have to just bring home a bunch of chips and try to match it. And of course, now I'm thinking, what, co what kind of color do I want to put on the trim in the bathroom? That'll be like the whole upstairs of the house. And our, it's an unfinished basement, so there's no painting down there. Um, the whole upstairs, except for the utility, utility room, painted in our house if we do the bathroom. So that'll be cool. It'll be nice. It'll take us all year, but it'll be nice. So if you're thinking to yourself, I don't have the time and the energy to paint a whole room, move all the furniture, etc., 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 eh, try it like we're doing, one wall at a time. Just move enough to get around behind that furniture and paint it. And, you know, some people remove all the electrical outlet covers and all that stuff when they paint. Um, I tape it. I'm an incredible taper of things like that. I, ta I tape doorknobs. I tape locks. 
I tape outlets, the whole thing. I just hinges, I tape hinges. And I can make that tape fit exactly around that thing. So it's like, yeah, we just have to put the tape on and we have to put take the tape off. We don't have to unscrew all that stuff. It's kind of just makes things makes life a little easier. So, yeah, I tape everything. Just don't leave the tape on too long. I did that with the outside of the door, our outside, you know, our front door and our live in our um our front door to our house. And I left the tape on the door handle too long and it just left gummy stuff on it, even though it's just painter's tape. I mean, like a year or so. <laughs> so don't do that. But um, yeah, it it looks nice. So just a just a FYI there, if you're thinking of, of painting, painting a room can really just change it, brighten it instantly. You know, it's like one of the most cost-effective improvements you can do to your house because it doesn't cost a ton and you can do the work yourself and it's you know it looks really nice so yeah so there's an option if you can paint your house you can try that um I wish I could uh maybe I'll tweet a picture of my uh trim and or my like my door my front door because it'll have both colors there though I have to admit that the Colors don't always come out true to life in um, with the you know in your lighting and the and the and the phones and stuff like that when you take a picture. So you may not get the colors as as nice as they are. But I'll, I may try it and put it on my Twitter. Um, it'll be weird putting it on my writing Twitter since it's not about writing at all. Uh, it is about reasons why I couldn't write or <laughs> couldn't do a podcast. But. I got it done today because we only paint on weekends. So I got it done today and I'm going to get it done tomorrow. And uh, yeah, we are going to finish this story and finish it strong. And I hope you're enjoying it. And uh, tell me what you think or what your favorite color. What color would you paint your walls and trim if you could do it? Tell me that even. I don't care. Tweet me at inhildi at gmail excuse me at inhildi i-n-h-e-i-l-d-i or you can email me at inhildi at gmail.com i would love to hear from you see you tomorrow for the finale